Hello, hello, and welcome to Decaf, a production of the Beacon Center of Tennessee. I'm Taylor, and as always, I'm joined by my buddy, my coworker, my fellow sports fan of Mark Cunningham. Mark, you're looking awfully monochromatic today, and I really like it. Green on green. I don't think the greens really match, though. I think if you saw it in person, it looks stupider than it does here. But yeah, I, I had the green shirt on. My my other jazz hat I put in the in the washer because I've worn it like three years without washing it. So that, this is my backup jazz hat. Well, you won't know about this, but Kate Middleton does same color, different tones all the time. So this could be like your Kate Middleton look. I'm the Kate Middleton of the Beacon Center. I think we all agree on that. Okay. Can we put that on a (laughs) t-shirt? We keep talking about t-shirt ideas of random things that we say that are completely unacceptable, but you slash we still say them. So speaking of things that are completely unacceptable, let's just jump right in because I am filled to the brim with rage, which isn't rare. I get really mad about nonsense things that happen all the time. But today, my grievance, well, today and almost every day, my grievance is against the Nashville Codes Department. I have always had grievances against the Nashville Codes Department. I'm actually, I mean, I get on my soapbox all the time about how they enforced a ban against home studios, and that was like their bread and butter for a long time. But there was a cover story in the Nashville scene, I guess about a month ago now, where Codes officers were taking out personal vendettas against people. The The cover story featured a man who was visited by the codes department. I think it said no less than 20 times over insane things. Like he was working on a car in his yard and the codes officer came out and demanded that he prove that the car worked or he had a, a refrigerator on his carport. And the codes officer said, you can't have a refrigerator on your carport. And we talk about property rights all the time and how people should have the right to use their property as they wish. But what I thought was especially poignant about this Nashville scene article was that this particular codes officer would visit this man's house when no complaint was filed. And he would just do it because he'd always done it. And we can talk a lot and we will talk a lot about weaponizing government resources against people. We'll talk about that again later. But I think that this is a really egregious example of Nashville. All of us who live in Nashville especially know that they don't always use government resources and city resources in an honorable way. And I think that this is a prime example of using government resources in a way that is punishing to people who aren't really doing anything wrong and holding personal vendettas, seeking out people in low-income areas to go against them and, and try to punish them for what their house, what their yard looks like, what they're doing in their house. And anyway, we see it all the time. Mark, I don't know if you have any thoughts about that before I absolutely spiral into my rage. I think you might need to pull back on my reins for a second. Well, obviously this is less problematic long-term, but like I just watched Making a Murder again and, and the way that, you know, the those cops were like Stephen Avery. You saw that, right? Oh, of course I did. Yeah, so I just watched it for the second time and it's like the way that the cops just, they wanted Stephen Avery to get in trouble and even when it wasn't him, they tried to make it seem like it was him. Specifically, it was proven on the first time he got arrested. So it feels like the code officers had that same type of idea. It's like, I don't like this person or the city council doesn't like this person. So I'm going to keep going after them. And the whole point of codes is, you know, it's like, oh, this person has, you know, disgusting, rotting trash that's been there for a year and a half and it's making the whole neighborhood smell bad. That's what that's for. Or, oh, that person is lighting stuff on fire that could light the rest of the neighborhood on fire. It should be simply health and safety. And like so many other things, you see these laws or these even departments that were supposed to be used for good that are actually using for bad. And this is just one more example of something that's good 
in terms of its intentions, but the execution is terrible and it's too much government doing too many things. I read something about like somebody having a soda can on their car. They, they said, I mean, it's, it's the point of insanity. It, it is the point of insanity. And, you know, they kept talking about these Airbnbs and all these things. We know who that was. That was the city council who didn't like Airbnbs in their neighborhood calling the, the codes people and using their power to destroy everyday normal people's lives instead of using codes for what they're supposed to be used for to actually take care of these infractions that are actually that are hurting the community. And that's not what they're doing. I have a love-hate relationship with irony in general. But I love irony in this current moment because one of the city attorneys who goes after Airbnbs and short-term rentals owns a short-term rental. I feel like every single time we talk about government, we talk about hypocrisy, case and point. And so I think Nashville is in a really cool place as in terms of growing and growth and bringing a lot of cool restaurants and concerts and activities to the city. However, over the last 10 years, the codes department has almost doubled. They have more of a budget than Nashville full-time employees do. I mean, Metro Nashville full-time equivalent employees in Metro Nashville has grown 25.3% from fiscal year 2013 to 2018. The codes department positions have grown nearly 81% in the same time frame. It, it just looks like Nashville is only interested in policing its, its citizens against things that are kind of insane. To begin with, I don't want to hear any more about how much more they need for education when they're spending money on codes. They're not. I mean, Nashville does not know how to prioritize money. They spend like a bunch of drunken sailors who have no idea what they're doing. And it's like whatever the pet project of the week is or whatever's going to make me look like, um, you know, Nashville is the most tolerant city. As long as, we, you know, we can put lights on the bridge to whatever represent whatever month it is. It's just insane. And they just are not prioritizing. They expect the state to like prioritize these kids and their learning, but they don't care at all. I mean, they're not prioritizing the kids when they're spending money and they don't want competition. I just, I mean, the Nashville government is a joke and it's, it's awful. And I will say that original story too, it wasn't just a Nashville scene story, right? This was Radley Balka, who's like a Washington Post columnist, a civil libertarian. I mean, he's a big deal to be writing this for, for the Nashville scene. So it is, um, it's another example of just the, the people in power being able to use, you know, government entities against the people they're trying to, they're supposed to be there to, you know, help and protect. No, I totally agree. And honestly, I don't care if my neighbor has a refrigerator on his carport, a can of Coke sitting on the steps, or a car that doesn't work in his yard, as long as my trash and recycling still aren't being picked up. Okay, there. I said it. I said it. I don't care. Where's my trash man? <laughs> I care if people are selling Coke. I don't care if they have a Coke. Like It's like this whole idea of like, the, the, the Coke should be focused on the very things that are A, deal with danger, or like, yes, if somebody is playing, you know, music the loudest it could possibly be at 3 a.m. and keeping the whole neighborhood up, fine. But like, this is just not their job. It's never been their job. And it's just somebody, you know, getting having a little power go to their head and say, no, I'm a codes person, man. Look how important I am. I can make this guy who I don't like stop drinking his Coke and while he's working on his car in the parking lot. It's just... It's nonsense. And Jason Edmonds wrote a good piece kind of following up on that on our website. Yeah. And we will, we will leave it at this. City resources should not be weaponized against the city's citizens. Okay. That's especially in the codes department. That was a great point that Jason made and I will die on that hill. <laughs> and so that's all I have to say about that. Uh, speaking of weaponizing government resources, a story that has been at the forefront of, I think, almost every American mind, if we're if we're watching the news this week, is the FBI raid on Trump's residence Mar-a-Lago earlier this week. Now, there were some funny tweets about it. I saw a tweet that said, 
it had in parentheses, Baron doesn't look up from his Xbox, quote, safe is in the back. Like there were some funny tweets about it. And you can you can joke about things like that. But what we can't joke about is how unprecedented this action is. I was shocked. I've been taking tap classes and I was literally driving to my tap class and my mom called me and said, is this true? And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm in the car. And she just said, just look at Twitter. When you get parked, look at Twitter. This is unprecedented. People from the right, people from the left are all speaking out and saying, if this is how we're doing things now, people are going to continue to lose faith in their government. One of the big points that I want to make, and then I'll turn it over to you, Mark, is it's really suspicious that the federal government is coming into former President Trump's house as he is bolstering a campaign effort against the sitting president. Okay, I am not a conspiracy theorist. I'm just looking at the facts here. And that is a fact of what just happened. And if you're not suspicious about it, you should be. I think it's a good point when you say it is unprecedented. I mean, this is something that has never happened. And I, I would, again, I, I want to be clear that I'm not making any clear decisions until we find out what happens, right? We haven't seen the warrant yet. We don't know. We, we've heard what it's for, but we haven't seen anything yet. Um, like you said, from what we see right now, it doesn't look good for the FBI. Now, of course, there's always, maybe it's something really horrible that has nothing to do with, you know, presidential documents or whatever they said. Um, so I'm still kind of in a wait and see like mode, but with the idea that like this on the face looks really, really bad for the FBI because the the urgency needed to invade somebody's property and do an FBI raid on their property. That's what they do. And like this guy is going to, you know, potentially blow up a school tomorrow. That's what they do then. Like the idea that they needed to do this, I'm not sure what is behind this. And, you know, it's a lot of the things that President Trump or Trump says are exaggerated. But even if they are exaggerated, it's like the left is trying to make them come true. It's like he is exaggerating about the government going after all these stuff beforehand. And like, they're like, you know what? Like, we want to make you look smarter. And, and I saw something that it's like Trump just won the primary for 2024 with this raid. Because again, a lot of the things that he has been saying about the government's going after them, and, and like you said, American public opinion in these institutions, whether it's, you know, the, the IRS, the FBI, the DOJ, the, the, the Supreme Court, all of them. Um, it's at an all-time low. And the only thing that a raid like this can do is really make people even more distrustful of these institutions. And these people who are, you know, Trump, Trump supporters who already feel like they they have it out for them, you're just proving their point. Now, with all that being said, I am still of the mind that it seems really bad and I'm like a 95% sure that this is really problematic. But I want to wait to see what they find and what the search warrants for, because it's all hearsay at this point. It could be something really horrible that we don't know about. But at the same time, if you show me a politician, especially on the federal level, that isn't doing something sketchy, <laughs> then I will eat my words. I will eat my words if you can show me a politician that isn't doing something sketchy, potentially illegal. But never have we seen something on this large of a scale to sniff out the sketchiness or go after sketchiness. Never, never have we seen that. Trump very well could be doing something sketchy in there. That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about the causation for this. We're talking about the actual event of the FBI raid and that unprecedented, highly suspicious given the electoral climate. I'm just not buying it. I'm not buying it. And I think that's a good point is what you just said. Like, yeah, a lot of politicians do things that are sketchy, maybe illegal, maybe not purposely illegal. I mean, you have obviously had Richard. I mean, there, there's a lot of that. Um, 
And that's what I mean when we'll see what happens. If it's something that's nor- normal, sketchy, then it's like that was inappropriate. You should not have done that, even if it's illegal, but it's a small like if it's something again, I, I have no idea. But if it's something that, you know, has something to do with, you know, people being murdered or some kind of like Jeffrey Epstein connection or something crazy like that, which I don't think it does. But that's why I'm saying I'm going to hold off, because if it's just normal, sketchy or, you know, he brought these documents that were i mean i think every president is on they probably have private documents that they shouldn't have in their house if that's truly it then it was an absolute political hit but i'm gonna wait to see because again there is no warrant release so we don't know exactly what they had on there and i have in my idea in my head what i think happened but i'm gonna wait to make sure that the facts you know actually backed up before i make a like a proclamation that this was fully political with that being said um Biden kind of has enjoyed his highest approval ratings in about six months. I think he's up to about 40% on some polls. And I can't imagine this is going to help. Because again, like you said, it's not just the right saying this. There's a lot of people in the middle. I saw Andrew Yang talking about it, who said this is this unprecedented. So I mean, I think the far left, and they're saying not to use I saw the, the left's language is don't use FBI rage. Use they, they want to use all this other language to describe it. Um they're like, oh, use because they they don't ever like to use language that's actually correct. They want to make up their own words to make it seem like it's not as bad. Do we need like a like a new lefty dictionary that redefines recession and FBI raid and COVID sick, all these other things? Because I don't understand. You'd have to update it weekly because they change it all the time. So I, I don't know. I don't I don't think you can keep coming out with those dictionaries. So it's really, really concerning on the face of it, though. And I think anybody who's not completely down their partisan, you know, where, where they don't live in reality has to say this is concerning and it almost feels to me like a different thing is it's the government but when trump was kicked off twitter that even people on the left were like yeah I, mean, I don't like him i think he says you know very vile things on there and he's a horrible person but i don't know that this is what we should be taking him out of the public life like this in twitter and i think people had that same people left to that same opinion when it comes to what's going on right now it's like i don't like him i think he's probably done something criminal but i don't know if this is the right thing to go unless it's really 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 horrible which i guess we'll find out i guess we'll find out let's talk about someone else who's done something sketchy and this is actually way more sketchy and way more credible than anything we've talked about so far but mark what the heck is going on with the nfl and just explain the situation because i can't put it into words i'm not like the feminist like as a woman i can't talk about this but actually right now as a woman i don't think i can say these words this is tough yeah, so but one of the stars of the league is Deshaun Watson. He was, you know, Clemson's quarterback, and then he uh he was fantastic on all his years in the Texans. And he's had these kind of sexual assault allegations over his head for a long time. So over the past like six, seven months, um, all of these masseuses have said that he came in and he would sexually assault them in different ways. They were all disgusting. And, and there was like over 30 of them at that point. Um, and basically they decided they could not charge him with a crime legally. But the NFL said, I guess there wasn't enough evidence or whatever. And, and I guess all the women basically came to plea deals with him or not plea deals. Um, what's it called when you come to a, an agreement, financial agreement, settlements with him. So all this stuff happened. And what he did was, again, I don't know the evidence, but it's like when you have 30 something masseuses all saying you did something and he would go to a different masseuse every week and never had a consistent masseuse. It it's like ninety nine point nine nine percent true. It seems like that he did all these things. Yeah, I know it's circumstantial, but the circumstances really point to conviction. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So all this happened and the NFL decided that we're going to suspend him this year for six games. And people were up in arms. 
Because at this moment, you know, where this is a big deal and this man has sexually assaulted maybe hundreds of people, this is only the people we're hearing about, can get off with six games. While meanwhile, Calvin Ridley, um, who's a, you know, a great receiver for the, for the Falcons, he bet $1,500 on an NFL game, didn't even bet against his team or for his team, and he got suspended for a full year for that. And of course, you have people like Ray Rice, who beat a woman, you have people like Joe Mixon, they're getting four games, six game suspensions. And this guy is doing, you know, one of the worst things ever and sexually, probably sexually assaulting all these women. And they said they had evidence there and he got six games. So the outrage was insane for this. And now the NFL has basically seen the outrage and said, um, okay, six games probably isn't enough. We need to have a, we need to have our own court hearing and they're going to spend more because of the outrage from the fans based on this whole idea that Calvin Ridley gets a year, you know, you smoke weed, you probably get, you can, Miss six, 12 games, but you know, you, you beat a woman, you get three, you sexually assault a woman, you get six or like, and it's, it's just this inconsistency that's making the NFL look so bad right now. It's not even consistency. It's, I mean, it is, but it's also like not giving the punishment to fit the crime. Betting on a team, no one's getting hurt. No one's getting bodily hurt by that. Sexually assaulting 30 women. The betting thing I understand to some extent because there's a sanctity in the sport where if you're actually fixing games and if you're fixing games saying, hey, I'm going to do this or I'm going to tell my teammates not to play well. So but like the fact that he didn't bet on his own game, that makes it not relevant to me. I know he broke the rules, but like maybe a one game suspension, maybe two. I don't know. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense to me. The punishment does not fit the crime. And it people are being bodily harmed by his actions. And that to me is disgusting that the NFL doesn't honor that. And I hope that women, like I said, I've never been a feminist warrior before, but I do believe that women should stand up for what's right and what's wrong. And this is completely wrong. I, I hope that the NFL gets some blowback from it. And they've got a lot of blowback. And of course, you still have the innocent until proven guilty, right? Like, so I can't say with 100% confidence he did that, but I don't think anybody's defending him. And he's even apologized. So it's like, it's hard to understand how he didn't do something here. And, and of course, the NFL has been in trouble before because they got in trouble for the whole Ray Rice thing. And then the video came out and they're like, wow, we just saw him just punch a woman in the face and you gave him a three or four game suspension. And it, it just, the NFL is a corrupt organization and you know and guess what deshaun watson's one of their stars ray rice is one of their stars calvin ridley wasn't one of their stars and and, and maybe that's why it's okay if that was you know larry Fitzgerald is prime if that was julio jones i don't know they would have gotten the same suspension and that's why it's really hard to take the nfl seriously let's talk about something happy before we go because we've been talking about real downers this entire podcast we got to stop doing that man i know we lean toward pessimism but we got to stop talking about downers the whole podcast until we get to something happy but the williamson county fair is this weekend and that is just the happiest thing in the entire world mark i don't know if you went to fairs as a child i did I grew up going to the fair. There's nothing that pleases me more than walking around with a turkey leg and like a cotton candy cone in one hand and a funnel cake in the other. It's just the most joyful time, except for in the summer. It's about to be way too hot. I'm about to drink a lot of frozen lemonade. Are you a fair person? I feel like you would be very cynical about fairs. No, I love, I mean, I love fairs generally if they're at the right time of year, which is not in the summer. If they're basically October through like April, I'm good. Um, fairs are a great thing. They have the best way to eat like 60,000 calories in a meal yet, you know, a bunch of, I always love to get like the, you get the boardwalk fries, you get the chicken tenders and then at least one funnel cake. And then they have the funnel cakes with ice cream, which I also like. It's really a fun time and I love the food so much. I love the environment. It like, it just, it's, it's, 
nostalgic too. It reminds you of your childhood and all these great things. I talked to you a little before. I don't necessarily trust fair rides. When I go to Disney World, when I go to Six Flags, I trust that that's safe and they've tested it. That Yeah, the guy who's making $7 an hour and smoking weed on the side, I don't necessarily know that he's checking the rides perfectly. So I'm always a little bit nervous about kind of, at least the roller coasters. The other one's like, okay, worst case scenario, I get stuck. If I get a roller coaster or a Ferris wheel, I get stuck. That's going to be really problematic. I think fairs are great. I have some really good memories of that. Almost all in the fall or spring, though. So Williamson County Fair is right down the road for me. I should go. I like it. But it's too hot out. I don't want to sweat the whole time. Not my thing this year, but the food will be great. And you should go get funnel cake at least. Oh, I'm going to get a funnel cake. I'm going to win a goldfish. I love winning a goldfish. Those things die like the next day. But you can walk around with it in a little bag until you get home. And I'm going to put put my goldfish in my little fish bowl with my betta fish flea bag. And we're just going to have a we're just going to have a little little family family situation here. I know I'm probably going to spend way too much money on fair rides and fair games and fair food. But I will be there on Saturday and I will be sweating and it won't matter because I will be the happiest girl in the entire world. I feel like those goldfish, they go to Petsmart and be like, which of these is going to die in the next week? Like, what are the oldest ones that you'll give us for free? And they take those and you try to win them. I, I feel like every I've never heard of any of those living they're not like the and again these are 99 cent goldfish i bet you they have some deal with pets where like oh if it's gonna die just give it to us we'll we'll give it away to some kid at the fair yeah they're never looking especially perky but uh it is it is what it is (laughs) it is what it is and i'm probably gonna spend 20 bucks trying to win one so it's it's my competitive nature coming out I'll take the over. I bet you spend over $20 to try to win one (laughs) that's rude but you know i'll text you on saturday when it's like 18 (laughs) dollars Those games are hard because those are the ones with the actual like the fish tanks and, and the balls bounce. So it's like this big of a hole to try to get it in. It's not easy to do. I'm going to do it. I'm determined. I've been thinking about it. I've been meditating on my victory for days now. And I'm going to I'm going to win this thing. Best, best believe I'm going to win it. And it's the most genius business model, too, because it's one of those things. It costs them nothing. And they're basically taking people's competitive spirit. And they're like, oh, yeah, this this prize costs two dollars. The whole stand probably costs 100 bucks to do. And people just want to win. It doesn't matter what you win. It doesn't matter that's, you know, a 99 cent fish. You'll spend $50. And it, not only will you spend $50, you know, 100 other people spend $50. They're just making a ton of money, paying people minimum wage, probably under the table, while meanwhile spending nothing on those things and just raking in money. It's a great business model. And you know what? That's capitalism, baby. (laughs) There it is. Well, Mark, we are out of time for today. It's been, I think this has been a fun, great show. Everybody, if you're listening, uh, tell your friends and be sure you subscribe to us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. This has been Decaf, Mark and Taylor for the Beacon Center of Tennessee. We will see you next time.